Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. As we get started this morning, I want to bring up a kind of a contemporary event, and for us to do that, uh, Roberto, would you uh, come and share something that you may have been following on the news and such? He's going to share a little bit with you. A year ago, uh, about Dallas police officer Amber Geiger shot and killed her neighbor, Botham Jean, as he sat on his couch eating a bowl of ice cream. Here's what happened to Am- from Amber's perspective. After a long shift, she finally arrived at her apartment, goes to insert the key in her door, and notices the door's already open. She's afraid there's an intruder in her apartment. Sure enough, as she enters, she sees a black man sitting on the couch. The man gets up and charges towards her. So she draws her weapon and shoots to kill the intruder. Now, surely here's Bolam's perspective. Bolam is relaxing on his couch enjoying a bowl of ice cream when suddenly an intruder opens his door. He gets up to defend himself in his home only to get shot by the intruder and dies. The entire situation is bad from every angle, and the case generated a slew of emotions uh, and opinions from the public for a year, from the time it occurred to the trial, which ended last week. As the jury deliberated, I remember talking to my, to my wife about the case at home. I said, I hope she doesn't get convicted of murder. I mean, this seems like an awful mistake to me. Hopefully she gets manslaughter or something like that instead. Then the next day, they convicted her of murder. During the sentencing phase, the prosecution exposes Amber's social media activity and some text between her and her friends that show what would appear to be an obvious racist bias in a trigger-happy character. They gave her 10 years. At this point, I changed my mind completely. When I got home from work that day, I talked to my wife about it. You know what, honey? I changed my mind. This lady was bad news and had no business carrying a gun. She was a racist, trigger-happy person, and I feel like 10 years just isn't enough for her. Then, Botham's brother, Brant Jean, took the stand to make a statement at court. In his statement, after so many other statements of strong condemnation from Botham's family before him, Brant showed something completely different towards Amber. He showed her love and forgiveness. When I heard his words for Amber, I felt extremely humbled. I judged and condemned Amber the day prior without having been affected at all by her actions directly. And here is a victim's brother after losing a loved one so close to him, loving and forgiving his enemy. And to show how genuine his act of love was, I want you to see for yourself what he did next. I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do and the best would be give your life to Christ I'm not going to say anything else I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do Again, I love you as a person.
I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. Jesus wants us to love our enemies, and Brant showed us how that's done. God bless him. Pay attention to yourselves. Pay attention to yourselves. Why, why pay attention to ourselves? Because we're called to do things that are very, very difficult. One of those is to rebuke. Another is to forgive. Let's talk about those a little bit today. If we are called to rebuke, what does that mean to rebuke? Because oftentimes when we think of rebuking, we might think of me going up to Don and saying, get your act together, stop doing that kind of stuff, right? That's rebuking. We want, that's, you respond well to that, don't you? Okay, so we think of that as rebuking, but Jay Adams in his book, From Forgiven to Forgiving, he says this, it's important to distinguish between two things that differ. There are two words in the New Testament for rebuking. One means to so prosecute a case against another that he is convicted of the crime of which he was accused. Needless to say, that is not the word used here in Luke 17, verse 3. The other which Jesus uses is in this connection means to rebuke tentatively. That is to say, when you go, you must do so with caution. You must go with the facts as you see them. You present the facts. Then you wait for any possible forthcoming explanation that might clear up a misunderstanding or that might mitigate the situation. When the woman went into the home or the apartment, she didn't go in with words of, let's have a word here to see what's going on. Am I, what's going on here? It was an immediate gun. Just out of a question real quick for you. Do you ever have conversations with people where something's going on and before a word is asked or saying, this is how I'm perceiving it, just the guns of condemnation and judgment come out? Does that happen? Are you the one holding the gun? That's not the kind of rebuke we're called to here. We're actually called to ask, saying, this is what I see. Is this right? And if they say, you know what it is, then we can rebuke. Then we can say, this is what's wrong. And then they have a chance to ask for forgiveness. They have a chance to confess. And we have a chance to forgive. Isn't that awesome? If we go with the right attitude. If I just stand over Don and say, this is what you're doing wrong, how much does Don want to ask for forgiveness? Zero. Correct. What Don wants to do at that moment is to do... The defensive act. He just wants to say, well, it wasn't so bad. I did. Are you sure you're seeing that right? That's not the case. I, can't, I would never have done something like that. And he goes into the role of defensiveness, right? Isn't that what we tend to do? But watch yourselves. Pay attention because if we don't rebuke lovingly, we might not help that person to confess. Are there people in your life and mine that need to grow in confession? 
this is not the time for you to be silent. <laughs> there are, aren't there? And you might be one of them. So it's necessary for us because if I never confess, if I, if I never say, oh, I really messed that up, then don't I continue living in my sin? And if I continue living in my sin, isn't that a dangerous place for me to be? I walk around thinking I've got it all right. I'm doing everything right. People, everyone around me is wrong. And isn't that happening in our lives? Okay. We are getting, as a, as a country, more and more skilled, adept at nailing other people who are wrong, which includes everybody who doesn't agree with me, and not doing a very good job of listening to each other and saying, this is how I'm experiencing that. How do you see it? So the first thing we're called is to pay attention. We might be misleading someone by not loving them enough to rebuke them. Now, there's some of us out there, and we've talked about this before, there's some of us out there that like to rebuke as much as I like to stand on top of a building, which is 0%. Okay? So we won't oftentimes do the confrontation, the rebuking, because we're afraid. Is that not right? Pay attention to yourself. Watch yourself. Because in that moment for me of my watching out for me and my fear, I'm really missing out on the, on the opportunity to love someone. Then to forgive. How is it that you and I can forgive? Again, we'll just pick on Don today. He's sitting close. Okay? If... Don and I have an issue and we're not getting along for some other reason. I think we are, right? We're getting along just fine? Yeah, okay. So if we have some issue, we're not getting along very well at all, okay? And I, and I um, look at Don and he's just done something to me that's inappropriate and wrong, okay? If I look into Don to find what I need to forgive him, how well do you think that's going to go? Correct. Very good. Question for you. How many of us only look at the other person? How many of us get so wrapped up in what that other person is doing that we take no time to look away from the person, to see God, to remember what God has done for us through his son Jesus on the cross? And so if I don't look there, guess what I don't have? Every resource I need to do what the young man did on that video. Every resource is gone if all I look at is done. Right? So some of us have no resources to do what honors God because we refuse to look at him. Maybe we need to be rebuked. <laughs> Lift your eyes. Look up. Stop navel-gazing. Stop looking at the other person. Stop comparing yourself to them. They do that. I would never do that. You know what my response is? I don't care. You do other stuff. Please don't tell me you don't do what they do. I get it. You do, other, you do your own stuff and need the rebuking, right?
To forgive means I look to Jesus. To forgive means I look past my own understanding. There's, there's scripture that strikes us straight in the face that we hate. You know what that scripture is? Take up your cross and follow me. How many of you have that as your favorite Bible verse? <laughs> raise, raise the hands a little higher. Take up your cross daily and follow me. You do. That's great. You'll grow out of it, I'm sure. Okay? Okay. That verse simply says, you know what? It's not about me. It's not about my agenda. It's not about what I want. It's not about anything with me. It's all about Jesus and how I might love my neighbor better, whoever that neighbor happens to be. Right? And I fail at that. And I think you fail at that too, right? which is why we're here on Sunday so that we can look back to Jesus and remember he's the one who announces to us forgiveness of our sins so that he equips us again then to be able to go out and forgive those who sin against us so we might actually take up our cross as he did for us and live a new and free life. But how does that happen? How are we able to actually rebuke and forgive? Rebuke and forgive. How do we do that? I have a little something I want to read to you from the book, Free of Charge, by Miroslav Volf. It's got a great little thing, that, a great little picture that Luther shares with us. It goes like this. Luther argued that human beings are always being ridden by someone. So the idea of us as kind of like a horse. We're always ridden by someone. Either by God or by the devil. That's a crude way of putting it, but it's basically right. The point is not that either God or the devil compels us. In that case, our will would turn into, as Luther put it, unwill. It's rather that unlike God, we always exercise our will as beings constantly shaped by many factors. God's not shaped by all these other things. God is free and does everything he does on the freedom of who he is. We, on the other hand, are shaped by all these factors. Some of these are these. Language, parental rearing, Culture, media, advertising, peer pressure, and through all these, we are shaped either by God or by God's adversary. Often we don't perceive ourselves as shaped at all. We just think, I'm acting freely. I'm doing whatever I want to do. If we're not, pre, if we're not visibly and palpably coerced, in other words, if someone's not forcing us with a gun to our, our head, we think that we are acting autonomously by my own self-rule, or spontaneously, yet we are wrong. For the last probably 12 to 16 hours, I've been struggling with this whole stuff from the past that's sticking in my head. So things did not go some way that I wanted them to go, and so it's very easy for me to go back in and let my past let the messages I've always shared with myself and all of that run through my brain so that I have a certain thought. When you talk to yourself, what kind of self-language do you use? What kind of, we all talk to ourselves, right? Some of us just talk out loud. You know, like, and you can do that today because no people think you're talking on the phone. So it's like you can talk out loud to yourself all the time. It's great. Okay? So when you're talking out loud to yourself, okay, the question is, what do you say? Do you, any of you live in that condemnation 
Do any of you live, just keep beating up on yourselves? Do any of you live saying, look how great and awesome I am? Do you live in one of those ditches? I wonder if it would be possible for us to recognize that living in either one of those ditches is living with God's adversary riding us. Because oftentimes when I tell myself, you worthless piece of junk, that doesn't help me accomplish God's purpose in the world. That doesn't grow my trust in Jesus and doesn't actually help me love my neighbor. Right? When you say whatever it is that you're saying in your inner talk, does that make much of God or does that make much of you or so little of you you could never tell that you're a redeemed, blood-bought child of God? And so what I've been struggling with for the last 12 to 16 hours is, will I get off of those old... You ever have a, like a little spot in the back of your head where it just opens up and you can fit it old? Now, I'm old enough for one of these. I just slide my cassette tape in. <laughs> Some of you are like way too young to even understand what is a cassette tape, okay? Okay, those were before CDs, if you remember what CDs are, okay? Slide that baby in. It just plays the old song back. But I want, to, I want you to know... I'm going to tell you a little Bible verse, and I want you to repeat it after me. Ready? Okay. I've been crucified with Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live. live. Jesus Christ lives in me. me. One more time. I've been crucified with Christ. Christ. Therefore, I no longer live. live. Jesus Christ lives in me. me. What if I start to take the cassette tape out and start putting that tape in. Is that not really Jesus? Is that not really the truth that can change my life? When I'm living in that truth, then my wants and needs aren't near as important anymore because all of those wants and needs have been fulfilled by Jesus. Right? Is that, am I just whistling Dixie? Is that right, that Jesus has met all my needs? It really is. And he daily says, ask me for daily bread and I'll take care of you. And so he's providing through various means. He's taking care of us. If that's really the case, then I can actually believe that. And because God said it, because God acted on the, on the earth, on the cross, empty tomb, then he says to me, you are a new creation in Christ. How many of us, our whole lives would be impacted for good if we stopped telling ourselves the lie that the adversary wants us to live into and we started living in the truth. What would it sound like for you? All the last hour upon hour upon hour, I've been trying to sing that song into my head. In fact, can you sing it right now? I know I didn't give you any advance warning. Yeah. Try it. I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. Jesus Christ now lives in me. And then you sing it again. I Just am crucified with, crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. 
Jesus Christ now lives in me. Okay, so if we're doing that, if we're thinking those thoughts, guess what we're doing? And we're, we're paying attention to what's going through our minds. And if we're paying attention to that and it's focused on Jesus, do you think I might have the resources I need to rebuke those who need rebuking? Do you think I might have the resources I need to forgive those who need forgiving? Amen? Amen.